$3.2 million. That's the median income of an NFL player. And yet, one out of six NFL players go bankrupt within 12 years of retirement. Today's guest, Yannick Kudjo Virgil, was determined to not become part of the statistic. After leaving the NFL, Yannick successfully transitioned into the world of commercial real estate with a belief that cash flow is the key to financial freedom. Now, he's helping professional athletes, business owners, and W-2 earners reach this freedom too. What lessons uh, did you learn and translated from your experience as an NFL athlete? What lessons translated into your real estate career yeah i think the biggest one is just the importance of building a team specifically in the world of real estate private equity um, when you're doing bigger deals when you're syndicating deals there's a lot of moving parts you know you have your uh, lead sponsor you have your property management company you have attorneys you have contractors um, just an array of people that contribute to the success of your actual venture and just leveraging that um, experience from the professional space of just dealing with different personalities you know, have to know how to work with people. You have to know if your temperaments balance uh, to see if there's going to be a long-term relationship. Those are the things that are easily translatable. So I tell all of my, all of my professional athlete friends all the time, you know, we have all of the entrepreneurial skills. We've been uh, down in the fourth quarter trying to get back, right? That's adversity. Um, we, we, we're disciplined. Um, we know how to work hard. All of the things that successful entrepreneurs have today, professional athletes do as well. Yeah, so true. My brothers and I were, uh, so I used to run track and cross country and I was a goalkeeper, third string, wasn't very good. But Jeffrey and Kenny were very committed to soccer. They loved it. And we've found that there's a lot of like uh, overlap in the in the, sense, in the sense of the, the skills that you learn and uh, they translate really well to entrepreneurship, um, teamwork. And one thing, I don't know if you've read Grit by Angela Duckworth, but she talks a lot about like how athletes and entrepreneurs, the, 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 one of the key success habits they have is the grit, the ability to, like, to stick with something long-term, even if you don't see the, the results um, immediately. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. Especially in the world of like private equity. Um, yeah. It's definitely not a great get rich quick, you know, type of type of play. Right. Um, you know, yeah. typically people in private equity struggle because it's such a long term type of thing, especially if you come from a background where uh, you don't necessarily like have the network of someone who could write you, you know, millions and millions of dollars worth of checks. So um, I totally agree. One hundred percent. You definitely have to have mm -hmm. that grit. To, um, awesome. to make it in the professional space, but then also, um, as you know, the, the syndication or real estate private equity space as well. Absolutely. Now, I'd love to dive into how you first got into real estate investing. How did you get first, uh, first get exposed to this? Yeah. So my background, as you mentioned, played in, in the NFL. Um, unfortunately, I had to retire early due to a knee injury. And it was one of those things where you never really like prepare for the day that you would be told that you'd possibly never play football again, you know? Um, and so I was rehabbing my knee. Um, luckily I stumbled upon like, you know, bigger pockets and rich dad, poor dad, like everyone else in the real estate space and just kind of latched on to real estate of like, as like a thought of, you know, what am I going to do after football? So uh, started looking at some real estate stuff, met someone who was doing commercial real estate at the time when I was in Nashville, uh, he was doing like office and retail development stuff. And that really got me intrigued and specifically commercial real estate because it's less emotional, right? Than residential real estate. Um, so I really like the analytics part of that. And so, um, you know, started working for uh, private equity firms, worked my way up, did a couple stints at a couple uh, firms and then, you know, uh, worked out of that and officially, you know, went full-time about uh, maybe about nine months ago after doing my first couple of deals. And, you know, since then we've been, you know, rocking and rolling. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I know, so my brothers and I were big advocates and believers in like investing in mentorship. And I know you uh, invested in mentorship when you first got started, particularly like on your own individual real estate investing journey. Um, but I, you know, I, we, when we first started looking for mentors, there was definitely like some good ones and we luckily got connected with those, but there's also some not so good ones that we were able to avoid. And um, I just wanted to know, like, did you, I know that first experience with your real estate deal that didn't really go necessarily as planned. You talked about how you needed uh, a mentor who was ready for wartime and not just peacetime. Can you dive into like that experience and particularly yeah. um, use that as an example for like why it's important to have a, a good mentor versus a bad one? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So my first mentor was someone who it didn't turn out well, right? He was more concerned with getting paid himself than actually like helping his students in the long term, right? And And, and real estate is, you know, I think entrepreneurship too, especially like if you're a first time generation, you know, entrepreneur, you know, from the ground up, like just trying to build something that you could pass on to your kids, you know, you're going to make mistakes, right? Everyone is going to make mistakes in their first time doing something. And it's one of those things where, you know, you want to hire a mentor for sure, because your goal should be, how can I get to the, the, the furthest place in my career in the shortest amount of time? Well, you can do so by following someone else's footsteps or hiring a mentor that can show you the way the challenge is because you know social media has it's easy to, to put that storefront up of you know having you know basically telling someone that hey i did this you know come join my program you'll you'll get the same results but in this world of, of real estate today and social media there's a lot of pretend experience right um, and you just never know, like, if that person is actually in your best interest, right? Are they going to actually help you to get to the next level? Um, and so that's really important. And like, when you're talking to different mentors and people to partner up with, you know, figure out who they are as a person, because a lot of times that can kind of give you cues as to whether you're going to do business with this person or buy a service from this person. Um, because at the end of the day, most of the time, your personality is always going to come out. And over time, you know, I, I always like to say, like, time reveals itself, right? People over time, you know, they might show up with a smile on their face, but over time when things get tough and things happen, the real character starts to reveal. So, yeah. you know, back to your point, you know, mentorship's really important, but you really have to figure out, like, who is your mentor? Because there can be a lot of pretend experience in the real estate space today. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. And that's why when we like look for a mentor, we really pay attention to like their values and um, some of the unspoken things too, like how they treat other people, how they treat you, uh, like the structure of, of their mentorship, so many different things. We, we can have a whole episode on mentorship. So I don't want to dive into that rabbit hole, but that's a lot of great tips you shared there. Thank you. Um, another topic that I know it's very like close to your heart is the, the um, I don't know. And then you've so this is more of a complex thing because it's probably changing in real time, but like this trend in history where NFL players or just professional athletes would go and make a ton of money, but not make great financially uh, financial decisions because they lack that financial literacy. Um, can you maybe provide some context to that issue? And then also, do you, I, I believe in the previous interview you've done, you've said that that's potentially changing too. So can you maybe provide like what it was and what you're seeing, what changes you're seeing in, in that on that topic? Yeah. Yeah. So I think historically, you know, we, we as athletes have been stained with the uh, with the impression that we just blow through money. Right. And historically um, that has been the case, right. You look at the, the 30 for thirties of the world and, and the broke, the, the, the famous, like, um, you know, athlete 30 for 30 thing that, that had, that was on ESPN a few years ago. Um, you know, 
technology is the greatest equalizer, in my opinion, right? Because now you're able to, at the palm of your fingertips, research anything that you want to in the world, right? And I think in today's society, the modern day athlete is smarter because of technology, because they're able to communicate um, with other athletes, because they're able to get information relatively quickly, because they're able to see, you know, who's who and who's not and get access to podcasts like this that help them uh, invest wisely, right? Mm -hmm. And I think in today's world, you know, you see the modern day athlete kind of move away from the shiny object, object syndrome of like cars, flashy, you know, glamour and things like that. But the modern day athlete, you know, the, 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 the image of an athlete today is like the LeBron James of the world, right? Serena Williams, um, yeah. you know, the Tom Brady of the world, right? Folks who are actually investing and taking their earnings and uh, being smart with it, right? Like Kobe Bryant, for example, um, that's the modern day athlete. And so what happens is a lot of times because it's a close niche kind of fraternity, just like any other fraternity, you know, people do what each other, you know, what people mm -hmm. in their respective groups also do as well. Right. So now you start to see other athletes um, getting involved with investments, uh, being more interested in businesses and expanding their income off of the field, because now we have things like um, social media and all of the uh, media stuff that athletes can get paid off of the field as well. So I think, you know, with a, a culmination of like all of those things that I mentioned mm -hmm. presents a, a unique opportunity for athletes today to um, change the narrative that yeah, absolutely. what they were perceived, you know, as in the past. Yeah. And so you mentioned that, like, I love how you said technology was the great equalizer. Would you say that that was the case for you? Did social media and access to information, is that what really kind of like allowed you to, uh, I guess, escape that common pitfall a lot of athletes fall into? Yeah, I would I would say so. I would definitely say so. You know, um, I'm more of like an article reader than a book reader. You know, I love like, you know, having the Google alerts come to my emails and just reading a bunch of articles. So I think for me, you know, technology really allowed me to uh, transition easier, which is another thing that professional athletes run into is the tough transition. Um, you know, I, when I wanted to, when I knew that I wanted to get into real estate, I knew that finance was important. So I started taking, um, you know, online courses on finance, right? I started getting on YouTube university and Google university, some of the free things that a lot of people can use to get to, you know, the success that they, that they plan to, to get to. Um, yeah. Technology is definitely something that I think people should leverage to get to the next level or wherever that they want to get to in life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's funny because, so we come from like a low income background and we went to college and when we got to college, like we didn't really get that financial education. So I wouldn't even know if it's like fair and I'm not saying you're saying this, but I don't think it's really like fair to expect these athletes who are making a ton of money if they don't come from that background of like parents and families that are teaching them this. Cause that's where the, most people will learn that kind of a, that education. Cause you can't really expect the school system to teach them that. Cause that's not where they learn it either. So I think yeah. that's like a bigger issue, which is so fascinating. Um, And I, I love how you mentioned like you're, you're a great role model for a lot of these athletes. And I'm sure you're guiding um, who are, investing with you even uh, to show them like, Hey, I'm a former athlete and I'm also being smart with my investments. Uh, can you, I know you've mentioned like a, a rod, I think it was um, Shaquille O'Neal, like some other uh, athletes that are also owners of multifamily units. I would just, that's such a, such a cool, like almost like a, a marrying of two worlds. What other athletes that you're, that you're aware of former or current uh, are investing in multifamily? Yeah. Yeah. So I know, um, I think magic Johnson might be an investor in multifamily. I think so. Um, I yeah. know one of my buddies, good buddies, Brandon Copeland, um, 
you know, he's invested in, you know, apartments as well, you know, res residential real estate. Um, you know, the biggest thing for athletes, I think now is figuring out like, how can they partner together? Right. Mm. Um, because it's, it's a, it's a, it's kind of like what you said, right. You know, growing up in a, in a low income background, like myself as well, you're a product of your environment most of the time. And so if you're not being taught financial literacy, you know, you're, you don't know about financial literacy <laughs> typically, right. Yeah. Um, technology is obviously changing that, but you know, the point is that athletes definitely have an opportunity to change their communities and impact their, their lives and impact their family lives if they know how to pool their capital together as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so what are some common drawbacks that you get? Cause I, I believe uh, you've, I looked at news from research on your website and it seems like uh, like you mentioned athletes are part of your people that you you raise capital from and, and invest who invest with you what are some common drawbacks they have when it comes to like multifamily? i think that's like a really unique perspective but i think a lot of people would have similar uh hesitations to invest in, in that in this asset class yeah i think everyone has their you know um differences on how they evaluate opportunities and what they think is a good deal or not i know you know speaking on the in the terms of the professional athlete's mind um, a lot of what I've been going through is just educating professional athletes on what a reasonable return is, right? And the reason that is, is because you go from a being a, a broke college student to an overnight millionaire, right? And what happens is that because that velocity of money is so extreme compared to the average person, you psychologically think that this is how money is made, Right. And, and on top of that, you're already involved with the lifestyle of spending money, getting on, you know, yachts, going to clubs, uh, flying, private jet, right? So in a typical, you know, NFL um, structure, right, you get paid over X amount of weeks in the regular season, right? So if, you know, think it's like 18 weeks now or something like that, 19 weeks now, I'm not following NFL recently, but they expanded, expanded the season. But long story short, you know, if it's a million bucks over like 17 weeks, for example, you get paid one seventeenth um, of a million dollars over 17 weeks. And so I think psychologically, the, the athlete gets into a situation of thinking like, this is how money is made. Like if I'm not making this type of money, I don't want to invest. Right. Mm -hmm. But see what happens is you have predatory people in the financial industry that prey on these athletes and pitch them high risk, high return investments and they get into situations where they end up losing their money because they want that type of return. And also they don't have the financial literacy because a lot of athletes, truth be told in the NFL NBA grow up in lower income neighborhoods. And so they weren't taught about financial literacy. And so when you stack that on top of each other, it's a recipe for disaster. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of the hurdles that I've been running into and my job or, you know, our company's job is to just ed educate these athletes on what a reasonable return is res relative to the risk that you're taking on the investment. I think following that foundation of just educating them will turn them, you know, or typically turns them around into um, being interested in looking at these opportunities. Yeah, this is just such a fascinating topic. And we don't have a lot of people that are come from like this side of the investing world. So, so I, I, ho I hope you don't mind me like really focusing on this. But there's this uh, like saying, I know, for example, like Jay-Z and uh, a lot of artists who were initially like in music, for example, and then they transitioned into business because there's almost like the lifespan of of that side of uh, business or making money is only like it's a short term thing. for So the lifespan for an athlete, like you only have a certain amount of years you could be playing at the top level until you might want to pivot. Uh, 
what would you say some common like miss uh, missteps that athletes take or are you seeing like what advice would you give to somebody who maybe intends to become that that person but obviously like they can't be at an athlete at that level for the rest of their lives so should they like like i guess do you understand what kind of what i'm trying to ask yeah 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 so i think there's there's three phases that i typically think about when i when i think about the professional athlete right in terms of how they should invest think about investing their money or just growing their nest egg and taking taking on you know extreme or riskier investments, right? So I think mm-hmm. in the first first contract, right, when you're just getting into the to the league is what we call it, right? Um, you know, NBA, NFL, your first contract, you should be focused on what I call securing the bag, right? So securing the money that you work so hard to get <laughs> when you step yeah. foot into the NFL, right? So you know, the first whatever three to four years, whatever that contract is, you know, just focus on um, securing that money. Right. The second one is when you get into that second contract, now you have the opportunity to create generational wealth. Right. And this is where, you know, things like compound interest comes into play. Right. Or just putting that money to work because at the Mm -hmm. first first phase, you know, the first contract, you were just focused on like just just making it right in the NFL space. Those contracts aren't guaranteed. So you can be cut depending on what round you were drafted or if you were undrafted. And, you know, you, you think you might be signing you know, a four-year contract, but you might only get two years worth, right? So first, secure the bag, make sure that you have those those savings in, in your bank account. Once you get to the second contract, now you're able to invest, right, in, into a product like multifamily that yields some sort of return, you know, get used to compound interest. And as you accumulate and accumulate more capital, now you can take a little bit more risk on your capital, right? Now it's venture capital, some of those, you know, maybe early stage investments that you're excited about, you can afford to take a little bit more risk. So what you're now doing is now you have some money in the bank. Now you have, you know, compound interest or some sort of multifamily yield producing or income producing investment to couple your lifestyle that you already created while you started off in the league. And because you have that good foundation, now you're able to maybe take some cash flow and invest into riskier assets and kind of diversify yourself in a position where you're, you know, you're securing the wealth for your family, but then also you have that incremental uh, approach to your growth in your portfolio that you can, you know, create more and more generational wealth. Yeah. I love that. It's really cool. Cause it seems like those are applicable principles, not just for like an athlete, but really anyone who's starting up. I'm like, I know Grant Cardone always likes to say like, you need money to invest or else what are you going to invest? Like it seems common sense, but a lot of people get ahead of themselves. Um, and it seems like you're also empowering these, these athletes to become the investors, like build that mindset and that, uh, like financial etiquette to just really understand what the, what the power of their money is and how they can maximize it. Uh, what is your perspective on like outsourcing that, that role of fina- uh, managing their finances? Like, do you, is your approach to uh, kind of do it for your, your athletes and your clients and things like that? Or are you really empowering them to be like the best investors that they can be and then make the best decisions for themselves? Yeah. I think from a third party perspective, I'm a full believer that everyone should manage their own financial picture um, and, and sign their own checks. You know, I'm not a believer in someone else signing checks for, for myself or, or for anyone. Um, I think everyone should have a full understanding of like what goes at least, at least what goes out <laughs> of their bank account, right? You know, anything yeah. could come in, right? Anything could come in the bank account, but what goes out definitely needs to be accounted for. So I think from that basic perspective, you know, I agree that professional athletes should monitor that. And then, you know, from an investment standpoint, we all can't be great at everything, right? You know, some someone else is probably greater 
at, um, you know, industrial real estate investing that I would be, right? I might be in a mm -hmm. different space. You know, an athlete might be in the venture capital space and interested in building companies and things like that, right? So I'm, I'm a believer in definitely signing your own checks, but from an investment perspective, uh, partnering up with the people who have the experience and have the expertise that you can trust to get to the investment outcome that you guys um, first set out to do. So awesome. that's my approach when it comes to to the to the money side. I love that. Now this is a little pivot, but uh, I know a success. You've clearly demonstrated that you're capable of high levels of success. You know, you got became an NFL athlete, and then now you're a successful real estate investor. Uh, but of course, I think a lot of people overlook the sacrifices that come with being a successful person in any arena, whether that's athletics or business. So I'd love it if you could shine the light before we get into like, I do want to dive into what real estate has done for you and your lifestyle. But first, before we dive into yeah. that, what kind of sacrifices have you made? And like, let's be, you know, as transparent as you want, because I think a lot of people see the success and uh, the cars. I'm not saying you have this, but like a lot of times uh, real estate investors will post the, the nice things, the fancy things, and they overlook the the, the, the trenches, the, the, that period where they were really grinding. Yeah. I would think I, I would say honestly the, the 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 sacrifice to me is just not being able to be around the family as much as I want to, um, and and I always like to say man you know large amounts of sec of success come with large amounts of sacrifices right you know most of the time for the for most people the ones who have achieved you know things that are astronomical you know lacks lack something right whether it's lacking their health lack in their time with their family or whatever the case may be that might be important to them. Um, and I think going into this journey, if you want to do it at a high level and you want to uh, do it long-term, you're going to have to sacrifice something, whether it's, you know, living at home with your parents to start off, whether it's, um, you know, cutting, making sure that your, your, your expenses are flatlined uh, for a few years until the business comes up, you know, some of the things that are just fundamental, when you are, yeah. when you're an entrepreneur trying to scale at a exponential level. Um, and it's one of those things where it kind of gets overlooked because of social media again, and, and people that glorify, you know, pictures and, and don't really know like what the nitty gritty is until they actually get into it. And they say, well, this was, this is a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it's entrepreneurship. That's what it is, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, there's no, there's no success without sacrifice. Absolutely. And I know, so Jeff Bezos, like, he recently came out saying that like there's no such thing as work-life balance. Um, it was more of a cycle, I think, is what he called it, or a circle. Uh, what is work-life balance for you in the sense that like how how do you approach that? I know that as an even as an athlete, like back then, I'm sure it was a struggle to balance everything. That even is that even possible, in your opinion? Yeah, I, I think it is. I think it is. You know, I think work-life balance. You know, I think it all depends on like how hard you want to work as well. Because, you know, when you're when you're starting off as an entrepreneur, like everything is on you, right? You're the accountant. You're the person closing the deal. You're the person raising the money. You're the person <laughs> doing the construction. Like everything is on you until you get to a, a situation where you understand like where your time is most valuable within your company to scale, right? So that might be hiring out some of those things that might not necessarily generate as much revenue as you know, as a percentage wise, as, as how it correlates to the entire organization. Right. Um, you know, you might sit back and think, well, I need to hire someone. Right. And by hiring that person, now it frees up my time to have less amount of time. I'm working, um, on the business, um, sorry, in the business 
so I can work on the business, right? Which is eventually kind of growing to a perspective where you're just um, leading and delegating those 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 uh, objectives. So yeah. I think, you know, work-life balance, honestly, I think it comes down to the the, the person, right? The, the entrepreneur, you know, how much work do you do? You want to work for the rest of your life and, and, and work a job? Well, it's kind of like the same thing when you were probably working a W-2, right? The goal from a, as an entrepreneur is to start off, you know, maybe self-employed, right? You're doing all the hats and kind of like the, that, the, the cash flow quadrant, you know, move along to where is, you're now the investor and you're just, you know, ditching out capital, um, building relationships to close deals and just managing the, the organization. And that's the, Absolutely. that's the, that's the point that we want to get to at some point. Yeah. And we're big believers in real estate. I know in the past you've touched on how much and how big of an impact it's had on your lifestyle. Can you maybe provide some like light on what it's done and the cash flow from your real estate has done for your lifestyle and maybe like the freedom it's offered you? Yeah, definitely. I think um, allowing me to, to quit my job, quite frankly, you know, between some of the single family and multifamily deals that we have done, um, you know, real estate cash flow is a direct route to financial freedom. It is what it is, right? If, if you can replace your your W-2 income on a monthly basis, you can get financially free. You know, it's not necessarily saying that you're retiring, right? You, you see all that stuff on social media, you know, today of like, oh, I retired at 21. Well, did you really retire or did you just become financially free, right? So it's like, there's levels to understanding like, you know, what buckets do you want to get to or what stages do you want to get to in your career or your life? Um, and for me, you know, real estate was very pivotal in being able to like, free up, right? Free up my ability to um, not rely on a W-2 or not, you know, have to to work, just work on my own business. So, um, you know, I, I love real estate and and partly because of the cash flow and financial freedom. Yeah. So so today in your syndication business, what's your role in, in it right now? Like specifically, what are you doing on a day-to-day? Yep. So on a day-to-day, our focus is primarily on the acquisition side and the capital raising side. Um, you know, we do do some construction management as well for our own projects. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, as we kind of grow as an organization, you know, our plans is to, um, you know, hire someone, a construction manager that will be handling the construction management and, um, you know, hire an analyst and acquisitions person to handle that stuff. Because a lot of, a lot of times that takes up a lot of your, you know, underwriting a deal could take up like four to six hours easy. Right. And that's like half of the day. So, you know, as I mentioned, you know, it's, it's, um you know, my podcast is called the mogul marathon for a reason, right? Because it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, if you think you're going to come into this business and like, just make it overnight, you know, like a flipper or something, you know, you'll be in for, <laughs> you'll be, yes. you'll be in for a wild one, right? You just have to have that mindset of, you know, I'm going to work, go to work every day. I'm going to make it happen. And I have to do this because, you know, I have a family that's depending on me. Like, like, what's your why? You know, why do you wake up every morning? Why are you doing this? Because sometimes you're going to ask yourself, man, this is hard. <laughs> like, why am I even putting myself through this? But yeah. at the end of the day, you know, if you have that strong why, you can, you know, force yourself through anything. Yeah, it's something we have to remind ourselves of constantly because we came from a wholesaling background where the gratification was a lot more immediate. Like, yes, you'd have to nurture a lead, but you get paid way more frequently. Um, and there's more like, like, like I think multifamily syndication specifically on the GP side, it's a very long-term play. And you don't close deals. I mean, ideally we'll be closing much more frequently, but like it takes time. It's a slow burn. And that's something that was really, we have to continue to remind ourselves of that. So um, definitely, you know, I can completely relate to what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a daily, daily grind, you know, daily struggle. Um, but you know, as long as, again, as long as you have that strong, why, uh, that's really, really important. 
Absolutely. Well, Yannick, it is time for our speed round. Are you ready? Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Number one, what has been the biggest failure that you've encountered along your real estate journey? And what did you take away from that experience? Um, honestly, my, my biggest failure was, um, uh, my, my first deal with that mentor, honestly, um, I didn't come out good on, on my first ever fix and flip deal. And that taught me a lot about the importance of doing your due diligence on someone. Um, and the reason is because as I mentioned, and I'm going to keep saying it again, you know, there's a lot of pretend experience in, in the world today. Right. Um, and people that, that not necessarily have your best interests at heart. And when you're investing with people, you have to know who that person is. You have to do your due diligence and you have to make sure that all parties are aligned and, and, and actually have the same vision in mind. Right. And you guys mm -hmm. are, are watching out for each other. So I think the biggest thing that I've learned is just do your due diligence on people, right? Because you might have a good deal. Yeah. But if your partnerships aren't, aren't aligned and that person doesn't have, um, you know, uh, uh, solid character, um, then you're putting yourself at a lot of risk. Absolutely. And you mentioned due diligence. I know you're a big, uh, like fan of your own due diligence checklist. So kind of like a random plugin, but what are the top three metrics on that due diligence checklist that you have? Um, I think the top three metrics that I have is definitely analyzing, um, the T12 for sure and understanding like where things are, where things have been, where things are heading, uh, because your lender is going to be looking at that as well. Um, definitely doing your property inspections, um, super, super important. there. looking out for things that are your lender is going to be, um, may not be interested in, or your insurance carrier, um, like aluminum wiring, for example, a lot of people might know how to walk through some of those basic units because they might start it off in residential real estate and moved up. But some of the things like, you know, boilers, chillers, you know, aluminum wiring, things like that, those could really distort your budget. So knowing that, um, and then the last thing is just, you know, simple rent roll as well too. Right. Um, because you're going to be taking that and just figuring out like where rents are today and turning that into where rents can be from a premium perspective. Um, so I think, you know, those are solid fundamentals that, you know, all investors really need to look at. And there are other things on there that are super, super and equally important, but mm -hmm. um, the income number one has to be uh, at the forefront because if it isn't, you know, producing income, it isn't going to be uh, worth what you think it is. Yeah, absolutely. It won't be cash flowing. Awesome. Awesome. Look into the future to the present. Where's your business at today and what's your vision for it moving forward? Yeah. So right now we're about 6 million in assets under management, uh, primarily in, in Baltimore city, which is pretty much where all of our properties are. Um, and so our goal right now is to continue to kind of farm within our, our neighborhood, Baltimore Metro, and then also move into the affordable housing space, specifically uh light tech, more community development um, investments. Um, because those are one of the, 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 the investment avenues that we really want to uh, do, which is community development and just providing a nice, clean, affordable house. So yeah, um, that is, uh, that that's where we're headed. I love it. I love it. What is your number one book for your business and or personal life? Um, it's a good, good question. I don't, I don't want to give a cliche answer like rich dad, poor dad. <laughs> right? Uh, that's a good answer. Um, I, I would say on, on the, on the personal side, well, let me say on the business side, I really like the book, uh, The People's Principles by Don Peebles. He's a real estate developer. Um, 
And, you know, he just talks about the fundamentals of just real estate, right? He has the the, the people's, people's principles, which just essentially tells you, you know, principles that you should live by to be successful in the world of real estate. Um, and another book that uh, I can't think of it to my head right now. Um, but generally, I like books that, you know, on the personal side, teach you a lot about um, just patience and gratitude and just like living in the moment, because a lot of times as entrepreneurs, um, we're so like on the go, right? Especially in this business. Like if we get a deal that hits my text message, I'm in my my, my spreadsheet, you know, in five minutes, right? Um, and I think in this world today, everything is so fast paced and we don't get a chance to sit down and just like enjoy the moment because our mind is always rushing on, you know, what's the next deal or how can I raise this capital or what's going on in my property? So I think just being able to just live in the moment is something that I think is underappreciated in the world today, just because things are so, so fast paced. Absolutely. And out of all the gold nuggets that you dropped today, what is the number one piece of advice you would want someone to walk away with from today's episode? I would say the number one piece of advice um, is um, I would say just to do your due diligence. You know, I'm going to keep harping on that. Um, you know, we, we hear stories all the time, not all the time, but we hear stories like FTX. And I know this is not a, a crypto podcast, but you hear things like that. And then there's the, 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 the Bernie Madoff um, thing on Netflix right now that, you know, it was a whole Ponzi scheme. You know, you just never know like who you're partnering up with. Um, and so I always try to pride myself on doing due diligence and like getting a feel for the person that you're investing in, because when you're investing other people's capital, you know, as we've seen, you know, many, many times in, in history, um, you know, if it goes south, that can be the end of your career as well. So just being really, really cautious and protective of, of someone else's capital and treat it like your own, because, um, that's what you should do. That, that's what you should do anyway, as an investment, um, you know, operator. Absolutely. Uh, thanks so much for all the gems you dropped today. If anyone in our audience wants to learn more about you or just follow you on your journey, where can they go to do that? Yeah. So uh, again, we have a podcast, the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. Definitely um, take a look at that. It's good nuggets there. Um, also, our company name is, Mer is Merlin Acquisitions. That's M-E-R-L-Y-N-N acquisitions.com. Uh, we have a passive syndication guide that you know, anyone that's looking to get into a real estate syndication can just sign up for download for free and learn about the entire syndication process. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being here. And thank you everyone for tuning in today to the Real Estate Monopoly. My name is Kerwin. You can follow us at Donis Brothers on essentially every social media platform. And you can find the Real Estate Monopoly on pretty much any podcast streaming platform. But yeah, guys, let's get out there and take action. Have a great rest of your day.